Amen. Uh, good morning again. My name is Shannon. I'm a sinner, but also a saint in God's eyes, saved by the grace of God in Jesus, and invited into his kingdom, his glorious kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves. Invited to understand that kingdom, invited to seek that kingdom, invited to be a part of, through apprenticing Jesus, the coming of that kingdom in this world. So uh, here I am, sinner and saint, uh, good to be together. Uh, this morning we are uh, continuing our series called Love. Uh, this is love. I'm kind of referring to it uh, within myself. I, I thought I'd put this picture up on the uh, screen this morning and on your screen at home. Really fun picture. One of the favorite uh, photos in my uh, photo scroll on my phone. Uh, we took that in Chico a handful of years ago or so. Somebody decided uh, to uh, paint that on the side of their business. I mean, that's just it. Uh, those are three of my kids in uh, front of it. Just a little plug for them. Uh, the business has nothing to do with love. Uh, the sign that they painted has nothing to do with the business, and yet it has everything to do with everything that matters in the life, in the world, in our lives, uh, in that community, in ours. So uh, to that end, since we're taking the opportunity now to put a new roof on the building and along with the scaffolding while it's up to repaint the building, I thought it might be fun and just a fun suggestion to dedicate one wall of the exterior of our building to something like that. <laughs> building and Grounds Committee? Would that be a little different? Hate to create an uproar on Sunday morning, but uh, just an idea. Two Sunday mornings ago, we uh, took a deep dive into the scriptures and into theology and saw and affirmed what the scriptures uh, declare, that God is omnipresent, omniscient, uh, omnipresent, omniscient, uh, omnip omnipotent, hello, unchanging, holy, that God is also love, and in addition to all of those things, among an, a number of other things, the God who created the heavens and the earth and the Milky Way and the galaxies, all of them, this God is love, a personal being who is characterized more by any other trait, uh, more than any other thing, by love, uh, which may come as a surprise to those. The scriptures say God is love. John says it multiple times in his little letter in the back of the scriptures, God is is love. That's who God is, we said. That's what God does. That's how God is in his being. Uh, God is not only love, but God is love. Last Sunday morning, we took another step further along the journey, and we talked about how not only that God is love, but also that God loves. God loves others. God loves God's self within the dance of the Trinity. God loves his creation, created in love, by love, through love, and with love. And God certainly loves the pinnacle of his creation, that is humanity, that is you and me, despite who we are, despite what we've done, despite how we are, God is love and God loves us, God loves you, God loves me, God loves the world. That's our foundation and that's just the beginning. There's more, we're going to get to that uh, this morning, I'm excited about that. Uh, before we turn to the scriptures, let's pray together. God, we uh, sincerely and earnestly ask that you would uh, awaken us through your word, that part of us, mind, body, spirit, soul that slumbers sometimes, that doesn't pay attention, that goes through life with a full agenda. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are really good soil to receive your word. Work through your word to transform us, to renew us. 
I ask and pray that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you brought a Bible with you this morning, or if you want to grab the little blue Bible and the pew rack in front of you, uh, turn to page 735. Uh, we're going to be reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Again, page 735 in the pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. Uh, this, this, these are familiar words. It's a familiar story or account in the life of Jesus. You'll recognize it, no surprises. But may God give us a fresh hearing of this today. Uh, Listen closely, this is God's word. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus, the rabbi replied. Do this and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, uh, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And all of this to answer one person's question, teacher, rabbi, what must I do? What must I do to inherit or receive eternal life, a life characterized by eternity? The teacher of the law knew the Jewish law, in other words, the scriptures of what we call the Old Testament. And he knew there were references therein to an eternal inheritance one uh, could possess. And so he wondered how one might obtain or secure or be certain that he could inherit that eternal inheritance. And he wondered also how Rabbi Jesus might answer a question about such. Jesus was highly regarded. He was doing a good job of answering people's questions. And you and I might wonder the same thing. People like us regularly ask similar questions. How can a person today have eternal life? How can I have eternal life? How does a person get to heaven? How does a person go to heaven? What happens when I die? What must a person do to get into what we call heaven? The teacher of the law asked Jesus a question. In response, Jesus asked him a question. The teacher of the law then Uh, answered his question, then Jesus answered him. Question, question, answer, answer. 
Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus assumed that the teacher of the law already knew the answer to his own question. The expert was just testing Jesus. Jesus knew that the man is just or primarily yanking Jesus' chain and more, which we'll see in a moment. The law expert answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer knew the law. He knew the law like many of you know the scriptures. And he took two prominent lines from the whole corpus of God's word. First, a passage from Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema, which every good and faithful, upright, righteous Jew in that day and time, and many still today would recite first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening before they went to bed. And we would actually do really well to practice the same The first part of which goes like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul. Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second passage the expert quoted was from also the law, the core part of the books of Moses, the law of the Jewish people, from, the chapter, from chapter 19 of the book of Le- Leviticus, which reads simply, love your neighbor as yourself. And frankly, none of that was probably a surprise, his response to Jesus. Others at that time had likely given a synopsis of the Old Testament scriptures or the law by quoting those same two lines. Scholars think that this was not necessarily something new. It was essentially love God wholeheartedly and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the sum of the law. Over in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and later in each of those Gospels, Jesus is asked what he would say is the most important of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Which one is the most important? Jesus replies, you may remember with two, that he puts together this same response to a different question. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus says over there in Matthew and Mark to a different question, all of the scriptures, all of the prophets, all of the writings, all of the law hang on these two commandments. This is a good sum. It also works this way with the Ten Commandments, which were the core of the law as well, the first five of which were dedicated or devoted to loving God, talking about how a person loves God. The second five, the last five, about how one loves one's neighbors. In Matthew and Mark's Gospels, Jesus' answer to which is the greatest commandment is love of God and love of neighbor. In Luke's gospel, it's a teacher of the law who gives that answer, which Jesus affirms. You have answered correctly. Question, question, answer, answer. And there's more. Jesus didn't say, hooray, congratulations, you've answered the question correctly, you've passed the test. Proceed down the center aisle to pick up your Bible 101 certificate. Your status in the book of life will be updated in 24 hours. If your status is not updated within 72 hours, reach out to our help desk and someone will get back with you within five business days. Jesus didn't say that. Instead, Jesus said, do this and you will live. You have answered correctly. Do this. And you will live, which is a version or a way of saying or answering the man's inquiry about eternal life. Do this and you will live eternally. 
Now, remember the lawyer's question, teacher, what must I do to inherit or receive eternal life? And Jesus tells the expert essentially that there is a critical connection between eternal life or living, in other words, truly living, abundant living, as Jesus says in John's gospel, now, there's a critical connection between eternal life or living abundantly and loving. Loving God and loving people. Are you with me on this? I'm going to say it again. There's a critical connection between eternal life or life abundant and loving. At least according to Jesus. And now we uh, need to backfill a bit. What is meant by love? What do the scriptures mean by love? We talked about this last week. What did Jesus mean by the word love? Agapao in Greek, the verb. We used the definition the last two weeks with these words, love is, to act on behalf of another's well-being. It would also be biblically accurate to say that love is, to be committed to the greatest good of another and to expect nothing in return. To love is to live sacrificially with another's best in mind. Love involves emotions and feelings and affections. It absolutely does and it must. There is no cold and steely rigid, impersonal love, for sure. But it is still, and it emanates from the will. It is an act of the will. It is always, in the scriptures, a choice. It is a deliberate striving for another's highest good. When we're thinking of God and loving God, that looks like bringing honor to God, bringing glory to God, pointing to God as the source of all good and everything. It means worshiping God. It means adoring God. It means seeking God's glory on the face of the earth. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied to the expert, who at that point must have been beaming with pride as we all do when our expertise in an area is publicly affirmed. You're so good at that. You know that. You're a master of that. Ah, how we beam. You have answered correctly, and now do. Do this, and you will live. And I think the teacher of the law goes, huh? What? Excuse me? What did you say? I already do those things. I'm an expert, for God's sake. I read the scriptures daily. I do a Bible plan. I practice Shabbat. I attend synagogue services. I pray regularly. I fast periodically. For all intents and purposes, I love God, and I love my neighbors. I get along with all of them. Sometimes my wife and I even have our neighbors over for dinner or to share a meal. I love God. I love my neighbors. Are you suggesting, Jesus, that I haven't loved God or haven't loved my neighbors? And so the bright, hardworking, accomplished, highly respected expert in their scriptures wanting to justify himself, to prove himself, to demonstrate his excellence because Jesus seems to be calling that into question maybe. Calling into question his character or his commitments or his lifestyle or the practice of his religion or maybe even his knowledge of the scriptures. He asked Jesus with a little chip on his shoulder, and who is my neighbor? Well, what do you say then? Are you saying, who is my neighbor? 
To which Jesus may have replied, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and literally that was and is a downward journey, a 17-mile walk that descends 3,600 feet to the floor of the Judean desert, a steep, winding, remote road that for centuries had been a place of robberies and suffering with robbers and bandits and evil always lurking in caves and behind boulders and around the next curve. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They took everything he had, including his clothes. They beat him to a bloody pulp, Jesus says, and just left him there along the side of the road, exposed, suffering, and dying. And then one by one, along come three people, but they weren't just any three people. The first in Jesus' story was a priest. Let's just say he was a pastor, if we modernize the story a bit. Let's say he was a Presbyterian pastor. Let's say he had multiple graduate degrees and was the pastor of a really large Presbyterian church. And he saw this exposed, suffering, dying man on the ground, on the road, on the rocks, in the dirt, and the pastor carefully walks around him and keeps on going. Next came a Levite. In our context, a Levite might be a deacon or the director of youth and young adult ministries, or an elder, or a prayer leader. You get the idea. He was an important member of the religious food chain and fairly well regarded in that society, in that context. These are the heroes, folks. And he too, when he saw the writhing, bleeding, dying man in the road, managed to step around him or if the road or the path wasn't wide enough at that spot, step over him and continue on his way. And then in Jesus' story, down the road comes a not necessarily religious man at all from, of all places, Samaria, which is kind of the middle area between Galilee up here and Judah down here, or Judea right in the middle called Samaria, which good and faithful Jews actually went out of their way to walk around when they were going between Galilee and Judea. So filthy and evil and disgusting and despised were the Samaritan people. They would add miles to their journey, days to their walk. And remember that Jesus is telling the story to an expert in the law to someone qualified to teach Bible school or seminary who was a recognized authority in the Jewish scriptures and faith and traditions. And that expert in the law certainly knew, as did all of Jesus, Luke's original audience, that Samaritans were the descendants of a mixed-race population when mixed race wasn't a good thing, who occupied the land of northern Israel and middle Israel after Assyria's conquest of such in 722 BC. They opposed the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. They opposed the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. They built their own place of worship at Mount Gerizim. Ceremonially unclean, socially outcast, religiously heretical. The Samaritan was the exact opposite of not only the priest and the Levite in Jesus' story, but also of the expert in the law himself thus shattering the ideas of those who were listening with regard, to the, with regard to who are and who are not the people of God, who are and who are not the smiled on by God people, those who are blessed, those who are approved. 
If Jesus was telling the same story today to you and me, the third person who came down the road might have been, I don't know, fill in the blank. A young woman with jewelry piercings on her face, a bands off our bodies t-shirt, a crystal pendant around her neck who rejects all traditional forms and institutions of Christianity, the bumper stickers on her Prius say, love your mother with a little picture of the earth and coexist. Or if Jesus was to tell the same sort of story today to you and me, maybe the third person who came down the road, depending on Jesus' audience today, might be a far-right-leaning white supremacist who wants to close all of America's borders for good, except for those, for people who look like him, who believes that climate change is a hoax, as was and is COVID, and who wants to not only ban abortion universally and phase out most social safety net programs for lazy freeloaders as quickly as possible, but has a very different agenda for our world than maybe the mainstream. Or maybe the third person down the road in Jesus' parable worried to tell it today would be a member of the Taliban. As awful as those people are, you get the picture. The third person down the road, the one who was despised by the mainstream or at least by Jesus' audience who was from a different culture or religion or faith or background or socioeconomic group or worldview or political persuasion or gender of choice, The third person down the road is fundamentally different in some way or multiple ways, and the third person down the road disrupts the audience's categories about who are the people of God, about what and whom God approves, about who is one's neighbor and about what it means to be a neighbor. Jesus' little story answering the expert's question about who is his neighbor has taken a fairly awkward uncomfortable, unsettling, and even upsetting and offensive twist. Normally, a priest is going to be the hero of these kinds of stories, or at least a Levite or teacher of the law or someone like that. But now in Jesus' story, the hero is instead the despised, looked down upon. We use the term Samaritan very positively in our culture today. The good Samaritan, he was a good Samaritan. He did good things. It's really nice, wonderful kind, generous, loving, not so then. Samaritan man was despised, hated, looked down upon, frowned upon, left out, pariah status. And Jesus puts to the expert who is now certainly fuming, smug, angry, turning red, Jesus puts to him this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And I imagine then, right here between verses 36, 35, and 36, 36 and 37, there's this pause. There must have been this sort of silence. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Silence. And then the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He can't do that. He can't muster up those words. He won't. And so instead, he says, the one who had mercy on him. Yes, the one who had mercy on him. Just as God has had mercy on us. And did you see what Jesus did? 
The first part of the story focuses on who is one's neighbor. In other words, a man who had been beaten by robbers on the Jericho Road. The second part of Jesus' story focuses on what people who have or who are inheriting eternal life do for their neighbors. The third part of Jesus' story focuses on what it means to be a neighbor, which has a lot to do with how we see and treat and love other people. The expert in the law went in to justify himself, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The expert in the law, up to this point in his life and in his worldview, operated on the friends and family plan with regard to those who were considered neighbors. He operated on the friends and family plan. His neighbors, quote-unquote, were the people with whom he lived, the people in his household, the people who lived next door, the people who were like him in culture and language and ethnicity and race and socioeconomic status and education and values and worldview and ideology, politics, faith, religion, customs, and lifestyle. They were people like him. But Jesus opens up, he broadens, he expands the definition of neighbor and who are one's neighbors for those who want to live, for those who want to live, for those who want to inherit eternal life. And look at the detail now in Jesus' story about what the Samaritan man did for the man who had been beaten by robbers. All three men, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, all three men, as Jesus tells his story, saw. All three men saw the beaten man. But only the Samaritan man, the man from Samaria, quote-unquote, took pity on him. Only the Samaritan man, as it turns out, had a heart. Verse 34. The Samaritan man went to this man who had been beaten. And bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Just look at the verbs there, because Luke, as Luke recounts Jesus' story, they are over and over and over replete. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine, something he must have had a limited supply of as he was traveling, on the man, on his wounds. Then he puts the man, he picks up the man, the bloody, messy, dirty man. He picks him up and puts him on his own donkey. He's putting him into his own automobile, leather upholstery and all. The next day, This is a one-day journey ordinarily, but clearly this man's journey has been slowed down significantly because now he's hauling extra luggage. Now he's got baggage. Now he's got a load that he's carrying for along the way. The next day, he took out two denarii. Denarius was was about a day's wage. So whatever you earn over the course of a a workday, benefits included. He takes out of his pocket... Two denarii. Gives them to the innkeeper. It's not a holiday inn. It's more like a truck stop or a hostel. Very, very basic. Just the very basic. But he gives it to a guy that he otherwise doesn't know and would never have anything to do with. 
hands it over, no receipt. He asks the man, he tells the innkeeper, look after him. He empowers someone else. He mobilizes further help beyond what he can do. And when I return, he commits to come back. Not necessarily because he was going back on that road, but he's going to come back when he finishes his business. One way or another, he's going to stop again. He doesn't have to stop again. He's already done a lot. He's going to follow up. And I will reimburse you for whatever any extra expenses you may have. Open bill. Open bill. A denarius could have kept a person in an inn like this for a week. He's giving him two weeks of lodging. He's paying the guy. He hires a private caregiver. It's pretty significant. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. When is the last time you did anything like this for anyone? If you're on live stream this morning, there aren't a lot of hands going up in the sanctuary. One, two, three, four. When was the last time I did anything like this for anyone? Never. Never. Never have. Last Tuesday evening, uh, I was driving home from the church campus after youth group, taking home one of my daughters, and it's 8.15, going down 25th Avenue, get to El Camino, parked at the light for just a moment while it's red before it turns green, look over to my left, and there's a dude who, other than being a human being and being a male, seems to have nothing in common with me from all I can tell. And is sitting on the sidewalk at 8.15 at night like this, in rags, disheveled. This priest when the light turned green, kept on going. My wife was out of town, got three kids at home, need, got stuff to do, don't know what I'd do anyway. If I stopped to help, what would I do? This could be a long endeavor. It could take a lot of time. It could take a lot of money. There could be risk. He's probably a drug addict. He's probably drunk. He might lash out at me. I don't know what the response might be. The excuses could go on and on and on and on, just as it could for the priest who didn't want to defile himself and become unclean, or the Levite who didn't want to slow down because he had responsibilities in the temple he had to get to. Who are our neighbors? The first of our values states, following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally. Love all people made in God's image, loved by God, without condition. Though they all have a condition. Sometimes their conditions are great need. But regardless of who they are or how much loving them may cost us or the threat to our existence that loving them might entail or the inconvenience of it all, Henry Nouwen poignantly said, the interruptions in life are the ministry. They are the ministry, actually, as it turns out. I can't love everyone. You can't love everyone. Not in the ways that we've talked about. Not with those sorts of definitions of love. But we can love someone. And we can love another person. 
And we do have resources, and we do have the grace of God, and we do have Jesus' teaching, and we do have the empowerment of God's Spirit. John writes uh, some really neat things we've read from his first letter the last couple of weeks, bits and pieces from chapter 4. Where he writes, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or his neighbor, he's a liar. He has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So in this story, we don't know how it ends. Sort of like the story uh, in uh, Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. We don't really know what happened to that man. We don't know the end of the story for him. We don't know the end of the story with this expert in the law either. What we do know is the story is still unfolding. It's still unfolding for every one of us because Jesus is having that same dialogue with every one of us. Who is your neighbor? How are you called to love them? What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does love look like? And Jesus is looking to really broaden and expand and diversify each of our understanding of who is a neighbor. And for those who are interested in inheriting eternal life, which is always a gift in the end anyway, that's why it's inherited and not earned. But those who would like to inherit eternal life and truly live, Jesus calls also to his Abba, who is love, who just simply is love and who loves, and as John wrote, invites us into this loving enterprise through which God's kingdom comes. Not just out there, but also in here. So I want to do a little exercise on our way out. We have just a couple of minutes. Uh, Everyone's got a little white card in the pew rack in front of you. Go ahead and take the little white card, not the big welcome card, but the little white card. And this is an exercise for us in response to God's word and discipleship and following Jesus. And I want to invite you to write on that piece of paper who God might be speaking to you about who may be, is, your neighbor. Who you are being called to love, whom God is calling you to love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love as you love yourself. So no one's going to see it. You don't have to put your name on it. We are going to bring it forward as sort of a physical act of worship and response and discipleship and place it upside down on this card. No one's going to attach your name to it. Don't write your name on it unless you really want to. If you want to take home the same for yourself, grab another card and write it on another card and take it home for yourself to remind you of all the things that Jesus said about how inheriting eternal life works.
and what it means to love God and love one's neighbor. Ask, pray, respond, write. Who is your neighbor who hasn't been your neighbor in the past because you've operated only by the friends and family plan? But now we're being called to operate by Jesus' plan, by Jesus' way, following the Lord Jesus, striving to love all people unconditionally. I'm going to pray as we sing our closing song. You're welcome to come up. I invite you and encourage you to as an act again of response and put on the little table in front of you that piece of paper with the name specific people or a type of people, a kind of people, or a specific person. doesn't matter. Let's pray. God, help us to have as much mercy on other people as you have had on us, for which we thank you and for which we're deeply, profoundly, and eternally grateful. Fill us not just with a glorious love for you through singing and song and worship and obedience to reading the scriptures and praying and giving, though those things are also quite important. But help us, prompt us to love in the way of Jesus, not just the people in our plan, in our neighborhood who are like us, but also neighbors, Samaritans, those in desperation. And in this, bring about your glorious kingdom. Reveal that, show that, bring it about. Amen.